As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter 1. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy-to-read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Ask N.T. Wright Anything podcast. Hello, welcome back to the show with me, Justin Briley and Tom Wright, where we answer your questions. It's brought to you by Premier in partnership with SBCK and N.T. Wright Online. And today, your questions on marriage. Of course, you can ask your own question by registering over at the website, askntwrite.com and registering also gets you news updates on the show special offers entry to our regular competitions bonus videos and much more that's askntwrite.com there's also an option there to give and support the show and as a thank you we'll send you tom's exclusive ebook from the show this is new for 2020 12 answers to questions about the bible life and faith and thanks to all who have supported the show so far now a date for your diary tom is going to be speaking on jesus paul and the question of god a special evening event at westminster chapel on thursday the 12th of march Uh, tom is going to be leading you into the lives and times of jesus and paul and show how a better understanding of the world of the first century can lead to a better understanding of what they said and did it'll have special reference to his three most recent works the new testament in its world paul a biography and history and eschatology and we've talked to tom about all of those books on this show and then i'll actually be sitting down with tom after he's given his talk to interview him about the themes in it after which he'll answer audience questions so that's one you won't want to miss if you can get along on thursday the 12th of march uh, there's links from today's show if you'd like to go along and of course that's not the only date for your diary yes spring is a bit of a tom fest because you can enjoy a whole day of tom's thought and theology at unbelievable the conference 2020 on saturday the 9th of may our theme is how to tell the greatest story ever told and of course it'll include a live audience edition of this very show during the day that's again at westminster chapel on saturday the 9th of may the place to go unbelievable.live to book your seat but don't leave it too late the early bird prices won't be around forever other speakers include historian tom holland uh, ruth jackson sarah lumgair bobby conway the one minute apologist and more and if you can't get to london we will be releasing the live streaming details in march as well but for now if you can book your seat over at unbelievable.live that's all the housekeeping out of the way let's get into today's show Well, today and in the next edition of the podcast, we're going to be looking at things of a more pastoral nature. And I'm surprised in a way, Tom, at how many questions that come in 
that are pastoral, mm. essentially. And it's probably important, as we have said before, to say a- anything that you deal with that, that's pastoral, obviously you would rather people primarily seek a pastor yes. they can speak yes. to, pray with, yes. go on that journey yeah. with. Yes, that, that, that is really important. I mean, I get emails from people saying, help, help, I'm in this situation, mm. etc. And my first thing is always, um, I cannot be your pastor online. It's mm-hmm. just not how yeah. pastoral work works. You need to be able to sit down in a quiet room with somebody who can pray with you, who can weep with you if you're weeping, um, and who can engage in a longer journey. Because though I like to solve things when they come through my door, almost all pastoral problems, if they're serious enough to come through the door of the study, are not going to be solved in one visit. This is going to be a journey. We're going to have to go together. And obviously, I can't do that. Yeah. So with that caveat. <laughs> yeah, we will try to give <clears throat> some general principles. Um, mm. Now, next week's will be a whole variety of um, pastoral questions. But today it's marriage. Yeah. Um, but before we get to the sort of the nuts and bolts of, of how we make marriage work um, as Christians, um, a couple of people asked similar questions about marriage in the age to come. Um, so Clayton in Melbourne, Australia, and Jenny in Virginia they ask these questions. Um, with what I can only understand the Bible implies that as a married couple, we are to become as one. Yet, there seems to be verses that imply this is only for this earth. And what's your opinion? And Jenny says, I know we won't be married in heaven, but will I still remember my husband? And will we still be good friends like we are? Or maybe I should have just asked whether we'll know our family and friends. So there's sort of both questions, I think, are keying on the idea of... <clears throat> What what will that age to come be like? They use the word heaven. I know that you hmm. maybe prefer to use a different well. word, um, <laughs> and we'll get to that. But but I think the idea being people people thinking, well, will I still be in some sense related to that person of in course. the life to come, or, or will that <clears throat> somehow have evaporated? And, and of course, what will that look? Of like? Of course, and I mean one of the fascinating things about the New Testament, unlike some religious books, ancient and modern is its refusal to speculate beyond a very, very tiny distance into what the age to come will actually be like. And Jesus is quite clear that it will involve resurrection. Mm-hmm. And, and in his debate with the Sadducees, that, that is very clear. And indeed, the Sadducees are pushing him on this kind of thing. They're trying to kind of catch him out. Well, catch, ex- but, yeah. but, but on, on this question of supposing we have this woman who marries one brother, then another, then another, and then finally she dies too, who's wife is she going to be? And Jesus says that that's missing the point. Mm. And the point that Jesus is making there is not, by the way, about going to heaven. It's not just a different language, it's a different mm. concept. That Can I just do a riff on this go for on a second? Then. Go Go for um, it. <laughs> in the 16th century, the reformers were faced with the doctrine of purgatory, which had taken over the Western medieval church. And in order to combat that, they said, no, you don't have purgatory. If you're a Christian, you go straight to heaven, because that was the choice, either straight to heaven or via purgatory. Mm. And they ignored, and I don't think that's too strong a word, and I think Karl Barth and others would agree with me on this, the reformers ignored the teaching about new heavens and new earth and a bodily resurrection into that new heavens and new earth after a time of being at rest. The rest is called paradise, call it heaven if you like, though the New Testament doesn't use the word heaven for that. Mm. But it'll be heaven and earth joined together. Otherwise, we collapse into a form of Platonism. Okay, end of riff, but it's really important. <laughs> okay. So what Jesus is saying is that in the new age, 
we will no longer be mortal. We will no longer die. There will be no no, no more death and therefore no need for reproduction mm-hmm. and therefore no need for ordinary marriage as we know it, which has procreation as one of its normal um, primary goals. Obviously, there are many marriages where you don't have children and that's okay too, um, which is another question that people do often ask. Has Mm. something gone wrong with me Mm. because Mm. dot, dot, dot? And it's very clear in Genesis 2, the man leaves his father and mother, cleaves to his wife, and they are one flesh. And there's nothing about as long as they have children. that They are who they are. That's Mm. really rather important. Um, But normally... This is part of the way in which under God, or the normal means by which God renews the the human population. Um, That won't be necessary in the age to come. And therefore, and this goes back to the early fathers, speculation about whether there will be any equivalent of what we currently know as sexual relations, or whether that will be something which, um, because it won't be necessary and required, we won't actually want it or delight in it in the way we now do, etc., etc. That speculation, we're not told definitely about that. Then we go to the question of the people that we've loved and lost, will we know them again? And there what Paul says in First Thessalonians 4 is really important because he is giving a word of comfort and he says that ultimately we will all be together. Now, people have got hung up about that passage because it's the famous rapture passage. Yes. And actually, that's a misreading of that text. And it's much more important to say that Paul's point is God is looking after those who have died, our loved ones who've gone before us, and they and we will be together in God's new age. And there's no question of, oh dear, will we know them, will we recognize them? It's, uh, it's assumed that it will be a glorious mutual welcome and recognition, but of a sort which and in a mode which we at present can only distantly imagine. And this is where I go back to the whole question of music, that it seems to me one of the things that music does is to open up the possibility of imagining of other worlds Mm. where different things happen and Mm. different possibilities are there. We need all those imaginative resources. Not that we can then draw an exact picture of what it's going to be like, Mm. but that we can be assured that God, having made us and loved us and redeemed us in Christ and indwelt us by the Holy Spirit, is not going to forget us, is not going to regard the love which we have presently shared as, oh, that's just a temporary blip and you're all going to be anonymous from now on. Far from it. We're going to be more vividly ourselves than we've ever been before. And and I I understand the sentiment that, that, for instance, Jenny has about will I still remember my husband? Will we still be friends? There's a sense in which this is so important to me here and now in my life. Of course. Why wouldn't it be important to me then? Of course. But you're saying in some sense that 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 will be both fulfilled and transcended. Yeah. um, C.S. Lewis says, I think it's in The Great Divorce or one of those or possibly Screwtape Letters, um, that, that the loves that we will retain are the loves that have been subject to... Uh, the cross and resurrection in the present life. In other words, if we tried to cling yes. on to something and idolize it, mm. then that may that grip may have to be yeah. broken. But a good, healthy, outgoing, normal yeah. human love um, is a is a God given gift, mm. and God doesn't mm. give gifts like that in order to snatch them away. And it's been helpful for me when I've been thinking through this um, because obviously some people do get married and others don't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Paul, as far as we're aware, was never married. Jesus was never married, um, but were fully, you know, human and uh, loved by God. 
Um, but the, ultimately, the greatest marriage is going to be that final one, of the course. picture of which of we course. have as the marriage supper of the Lamb. That there's, and for me, I've always felt like all of these things that we experience in this life, to use another Lewis uh, metaphor, are, are shadows yes. compared to yes. that yes. ultimate marriage, that ultimate <clears throat> thing that... We, within which we'll see all of these yes. relationships yes. As, as having had their... Yes, yes, I, I'm, I'm sure that's right. I mean, the, the, the danger of the shadows metaphor is that can take, take you back <laughs> sure. to Plato again. Yes. But, um, but yes, exactly. And there are deep and rich friendships as well, um, sometimes which seem to be friendships which are um, on a different plane entirely from marriage and, and sometimes very vivid. And I don't, I don't mean sort of quasi-erotic um, uh, alternative friendships, just just rich friendships mm. of a sort which our Western world has largely forgotten, actually, but which can be very close and very meaningful. And again, it seems to me that bond of love is a gift of God, which isn't going to be just, oh, that was just playing around, yeah. we're not going to do yeah. that anymore. Well, let's move from the age to come yeah. to the age we, <laughs> we currently inhabit and the complexities that obviously exist when it comes to relationships, marriage and so on. Um, Here's just some practical advice being asked for by Joshua in Rochester, Texas, says, thank you for the wonderful teachings and writings. They've been incredibly helpful to me in my ministry here in rural Texas. I pastor a small Baptist church and I'm getting married in June. Well, well, congratulations, because that date has obviously passed already. So um, but you say I've lived alone. Um, uh, What advice, firstly, would you give to a man, particular pastor who's getting married in his 30s? I've lived alone for several years and I'm looking forward to building a marriage on the foundation of Jesus. What do you believe the best way is to do this? Um, and he says, I can also throw in some advice too along the way. But let's, <laughs> let's go to the one who has far, far well, more years of experience. It, it, is, it is a huge challenge and responsibility. And it's, of course, both glorious and utterly demanding. And yeah, Maggie and I have been married for 48 years. Um, she sometimes wonders what she did wrong to deserve all that. But <laughs> that's, that's, I think a lot of pastors' wives particularly would resonate with that. And I think one of the things that we have learned and that many friends that we've got have learned in different ways is that whatever you think it's going to be like, actually it's going to be both more glorious and and much harder. And I think particularly in the world of the early 21st century, there are so many cultural expectations which are still sloshing around but which have all been questioned and challenged And as we grow and as we change and as we get to know one another and discover that this person who you love very deeply at one level is actually a more mysterious and sometimes rather strange and off-putting character (laughs) that hadn't realized that. Because, of course, whenever you're close to anyone in a close friendship or even within a family, brothers and sisters, the more you get to know them, the more you realize, I didn't know that he thought like that. I didn't expect her to say that. And and the most mysterious people that we know are the ones we know best, yes, as it were, yes, and, and which right. is a wonderful thing, mm-hmm. um, but also scary. And that demands humility, mm-hmm. and it demands a willingness to say, I thought life was meant to be like this. Clearly, you think it's meant to be like that. Now, can we negotiate that? Is there room for that negotiation? How do we do that? And how do we address things? And, and those are things to be learned. And that's why I would always advise couples, if it's at all feasible, to have, like you'd regularly go to the doctor or the dentist for a checkup, to, to, to go every so often for a checkup to a wise, friendly, experienced pastor, just to say, this is where we are. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not at death's door. We're not going to the divorce courts. But we really want to make sure yeah. we're actually listening to each other and, and, mm-hmm. and so on. And that is that is demanding, mm. um, particularly because the other partner may suddenly blurt out something and you think, 
I didn't realize you were feeling that all the time. And and having the resilience to to handle that is really important. But that learning that resilience is important for later on down the track when difficult and bad things happen, when you have a sick child or when um, something goes wrong financially or whatever it is, you need to build that trust. And and then to realize as well that the way we pray together now and an engaged Christian couple, I would assume, are at least starting to pray together, um, that may not be the way that we both develop and our sleep patterns may be different and we may need mm. to have some separate times of prayer and that doesn't mean we're ignoring each other but and especially for a pastor to figure out what church going is to be like mm. some pastor's wives love being pastor's wives and sitting in a particular mm-hmm. pew with mm-hmm. their children or friends mm-hmm. or whatever others find that very very yeah. difficult and to be prepared to be flexible and not assume mm. that we know what these roles are going to be like. Yeah. And particularly to guard the time together and the days off and yeah. so on, which I haven't always been good at doing myself, yeah. but I've tried. So there's lots of advice yeah, like that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I and, want to and say, I'm, go for it. Uh, yeah. Hope it's working out yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. And, and from my perspective, with far less years under my belt of, of married life, but it is. It is about learning to sacrifice for the other yeah. person. Mar- marriage is a constant yeah. Um, yeah. battle of putting down your own wants for the yeah. sake of the yeah. other person, yeah. and yeah. that's yeah. why, why obviously, the marriage of Jesus and the church is 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 cast in that way. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's yeah. a yeah. self-sacrificial yeah. thing, uh, which sounds great in theory, but is very difficult in practice. It is often. difficult in practice, and and I mean, one of the things which I've written a lot about over the last twenty years is the faithfulness of God, Paul, mm. and the faithfulness of God. And somebody um, produced a book of essays about my book, and it's called God and the Faithfulness of Paul. And as I look at those titles, I think yes, faithfulness, reliability, trustworthiness. Um, it bounces back at all of us. Mm. Um, and if we think faithfulness in this moment and to this person and for this is difficult, imagine what it's like for God being faithful to us. You know, yeah. We mess up so often and so badly, and yet God remains faithful. Yeah. That's what we're called to be. Well, one of the best bits of advice I ever had actually was, was the, the, um, the person who preached at our wedding was the chaplain of my wife's college at Oxford, um, Trevor Williams. At oh, the yes, time. yes, the Trinity. Um, yes, the yes. Trinity. And uh, he said... Whatever you do, let God be God in your marriage. Don't make mm. the other person mm. God. Mm. The greatest mistake people make is treating the other people as though they're going to be the answer to their problems. Interesting. You're never the answer. Yeah, yeah, the other yeah, person. Yeah. Let God be God yes, and yes, you be yes. who you well, are. Well, well, yeah. well, well, it's good. Yes, there you yes. go. I hope you're enjoying today's show and the videos that we make available on the website. Do please consider investing in the show. Your financial support helps us to cover our ongoing production costs and enables us to reach many more people with Tom's thought and theology. Go to askntwrite.com and click on give. And as a thank you, we'll send you Tom's brand new Ask N.T. Wright Anything ebook. It's called 12 Answers to Questions about the Bible, Life and Faith. Read his answers to some of the most significant questions posed in the past year. Anything you give helps us to continue this show strong into 2020 and enables us to help more people to make sense of faith and grow in Christian confidence. Again, that's askntwrite.com and click on give. Dina in Switzerland asks the next perhaps obvious question, which is, well, what are your views on divorce and remarriage in Christianity? When is it allowed? And could one distinguish between God's will versus man's 
in terms of what he tolerates from man given our obvious shortcomings. So where did you want to begin on this one? Yeah, I mean, the New Testament is pretty clear that divorce is pretty well normally not what God wants. And that's in, in the standard passages in Mark 10 and in parallels there and in 1 Corinthians 7. <clears throat> and that that is a demand for faithfulness, almost doggedness, etc., etc. Mm. And it, it's interesting because though in the Old Testament you do get passages that say the same thing, like Malachi, God says, I hate divorce, um, uh, where there it was a question of um, Jews who'd got married young <clears throat> and now back in the land after the uh, geographical exile, there were all these other people around and some of them were a bit bored with their present wives and so why not? And Malachi says, no, absolutely not. Stay faithful to the wife of your youth. But in the Old Testament, there's all sorts of shenanigans going on about marriage and, mm. and stuff and mm. polygamy and so on. Mm. But in the New Testament, part of the point of the gospel is that we are supposed to be in some way or other people of the new creation. And that means, as Jesus strongly emphasizes, and as Paul strongly emphasizes, one man, one woman for life. That, that, that is basic. Now, the permissions that are then given, which are permissions rather than commands, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, and then again in Matthew 19, it's in the case of unchastity, presumably adultery mm. or some other sexual misbehavior of whatever it is, that then if adultery has taken place, that doesn't mean you have to divorce, but it means that already within the community Jesus envisages and that Matthew is instantiating, this is a possibility. Interestingly, in those passages in Matthew <clears throat> There are lots – we were talking in an earlier podcast about textual variations. Mm. There are lots of textual variations in the manuscript tradition, and it's as though the early church transcribing this stuff was <laughs> struggling with it was aware that this, yeah. this was a yeah. really difficult yeah. thing. Yeah. But it seems to me um, when the, the crucial thing is that the Pharisees say to Jesus – well, so why then did Moses give us this thing about divorce? And Jesus mm. says, because of the hardness of your hearts. Mm. But from the beginning, it was not. That's a really tough saying. Yeah. Because what that means is that Jesus is claiming to offer a cure for the hardness of heart. Mm. Now, as a pastor and as somebody who's been married nearly half a century, mm. I know that hearts do not just get softened automatically yeah. overnight. It's something that has to be worked at, prayed at, struggled with, wept over, etc. The other permission which is given in 1 Corinthians 7 is if a Christian and a non-Christian are married and the non-Christian really doesn't want this anymore, perhaps in Corinth because uh, I'm a citizen of Corinth, we have these gods in our house and we have these gods down the street and we as a family are just going to do this stuff. And the Christian just says, well, this is going to be really hard. And the non-Christian says, well, in that case, I'm out of this. Mm. Um, Paul says, in that case, you are not bound you are not mm. stuck in that i assume that in both those cases divorce because of unchastity and divorce because of um christian non-christian this includes remarriage otherwise right. it isn't it seems to me it isn't divorce if okay. that isn't included right. it's it's mere separation um but but so that's the principle but yeah. working that out in yeah. practice i know is tough it's inevitably going to have to be a short answer to what is a huge area, but I hope it's helped in some way, Dina. Um, another one, this is another tricky ethical question. Um, Madeline in Atlanta wants to ask about contraception. Mm -hmm. um, she says, um, should Christians use contraception 
other than natural family planning in married sex? And is sex only for the purpose of procreation? Uh, are there any ethical differences between types of contraception? Now, I'm not expecting you to be here as a mm-hmm. biological expert advising, yeah. or anything, Tom, but um, obviously feels that this is something you might be able to help, at least from a, a biblical kind of perspective yeah. as to wh- whether there is anything yeah. there's, per- pertinent there's not, to this issue. There's not much in the Bible about the sort of things that we know today about the use of, of medications or, 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 or physical aids, um, because that's just not what was available yeah. in the ancient world. Um, it does seem to me that in Genesis, in the Song of Songs, and in various sense of the New Testament, there is the mutual delight of the couple, which is absolutely central. And what little I think we know in terms of um, psychobiology, as it were, um, the act of sexual intercourse actually does, as we used to say, maybe not so often, make love. It can mm. actually generate physical reactions which are loving towards this mm. it's almost mm. like those moments in a Shakespeare play where someone sprinkles, sprinkles fairy yes, dust yes. first person they see when they yeah. wake up etc I think that, that that is a reflection of something which is really true and that holds the marriage together and that's true whatever forms of contraception etc mm. are being used seems to me sometimes contraception can be used selfishly we're just so enjoying being together mm. we're not going to have any of those stupid mm. little brats running mm. around being smelly um, um, it seems to me in the present state of the world, it's unwise, possibly even disobedient to God's command to be stewards of creation, that we all have limitless numbers of children. You know, my grandfather was one of 15, of whom 13 survived to adulthood. Mm. And people had vast families because in the late 19th century, whooping cough could carry them all yeah. off overnight. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so they wanted there to be some children left. Mm. Um, we now. What, what's your response then to perhaps some of our Catholic listeners? And I know we have yeah, a number yeah. who might feel that actually there is a, a you know, a, an injunction on us to always yeah. make at least it possible for yes, that act to, yes, to result yes. in. in I, I, I think that's an over literalization, like okay. some other bits of, of of teaching in my church as well, which have sort of rather homed in on one thing. And the idea within Roman Catholicism of the natural rhythm method, actually, when you talk to people who've tried to practice that, is anything but natural. It's all about <laughs> thermometers and calendars yes, yeah, and charts yes. and so on. And it's, it's highly unromantic. Um, and uh, I, I want to say we need to lighten up about this. But in terms of rejecting the selfishness of sex is just for my pleasure and I don't want to have any children, then we must reject that. Yes, and, um, and I, I suppose to some extent the sexual revolution did effectively divorce the sexual act from procreation. Sure, sure, and sure. Regardless of the specifics of contraception, there's a sense in which it's become something different to what it perhaps yes, always yes. was considered to yes, be. Yes, absolutely. And and that's something we have to navigate very carefully because mm. like a lot of other medical innovations, um, that there was a great blessing in um, this poor woman who was expected to have another child every year whether right. she wanted one or not yeah. until she finally died at age 50 yeah. of sheer exhaustion. Um, and I, I want to stand with those women who say, thank goodness we aren't yeah. bound to that anymore. Yeah. Um, Kendra in Tampa, Florida, and this will be our final question for this session, has a very, again, pastoral practical question. Um, and again, caveat supply, Kendra, that you, mm-hmm. we obviously want you to seek out good pastoral advice um, specifically. But but here's the story. It says, I'm a 38-year-old Christian woman in a relationship with a wonderful man, and we want to get married, but he's not yet a believer. He attends church with me, and though not opposed to my faith, he doesn't believe it for himself. When we first met, I told him I would not marry someone who didn't share my commitment to Jesus, but I now question if marrying an unbeliever would be disobedient to the Lord or not. 
when I discuss this with other believers from the Baptist church I attend, they always bring up 2 Corinthians 6.14 about not being unequally yoked. But is this the one passage really about marriage? And does it or any other scripture mean that marriage to an unbeliever is sinful? I'm well aware that marrying an unbeliever will inevitably create greater strain and hardship on the marriage. But God leads us down difficult roads all the time. (laughs) I want to know if God instructs directly against marrying an unbeliever or if this is one of those decisions left up to us to work out with him on a case-by-case basis. Wow. Yeah, my heart goes out to somebody in that situation who's obviously of a certain age and maybe thinking, you know, biological clock ticking and all of that. The first thing I think I really do want to say is that marriage in the 21st century in the Western world is tough. Anything that makes it tougher is going to be hard and it really is going to be hard and and this isn't just a matter of oh we love each other so much it'll work out you know that there are there are big difficulties here and marriage between two devout christians is hard um and and the fact that you pray together you go to church together um and you read the bible together doesn't mean that it isn't hard mm-hmm. and if you don't have that then that that's tough and the casualty rate is high now in the New Testament, it isn't just 2 Corinthians 6. It's also that very interesting little flicker in 1 Corinthians 7 when Paul says that somebody whose uh, first husband has died is free to marry again. Mm. And then he says, only in the Lord. Right. And it's rather like the Jewish endogamy, which is to say you marry in, you marry in the Jewish world. So Paul sees the Christian family as a family and that you marry in the family. Now, so that's Paul. However, um, and this is a curious thing, not a lot of people know this, but in the early church on to the second and third century, one of the reasons that Christianity spread was that there were more Christian women around than there were pagan women Mm. for the very simple but sad reason that pagans, if they'd had one daughter already, would get rid of any other ones. They'd throw them to the wolves, quite literally, Mm. or they would sell them into slavery or whatever. So there weren't that many non-Christian women comparatively with non-Christian men. So many non-Christian men married Christian women and either converted themselves or at least let the wife bring the kids up as Mm. Christians. So that that's one of the reasons why, by the time of Constantine, even though the church had been persecuted, there were more and more Christians, right. and eventually Constantine says, yes. "Okay, you guys win." Now that's ambiguous, but <laughs> but the, the, so it, it's clear that if the church at that point had said, "No, no, no, we're not marrying non-Christians," that wouldn't have happened. Mm. Um, but I think wisdom suggests that the putative husband there, the possible husband there, goes with you questioner to see your pastor to talk through this and to figure out if there are any things Mm. that can be explained about the faith and Mm. and why not if he loves Mm. her why doesn't he want to explore that and you know there are there are big questions to be asked there big questions obviously questions that kendra fully anticipates and from just from reading her her brief question here i can see that she's she's not going into this blind no no Um, no, quite quite but But obviously pastoral support and help is absolutely of the essence but there is, on a purely practical level, it's 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 difficult. I mean, the average church here in the UK is probably splits to about two thirds women, yes, one yes, third men, yes, and, yes. and there is that simple mathematical fact that sure. there aren't enough Christian men sure, to go sure, around, sure, and, sure. and so it's going to be in that sense much harder on on average Christian women to yes, find yes, Christian partners. Yes, yes. Um, and I can understand why this becomes such yeah, a yeah. pressing problem. No, it, uh, it, it has it has been and is, but I think um, if the husband thinks 
this is simply a hobby that my wife has, mm. then sorry, this isn't just a hobby. This is something yeah. that affects yeah. everything. Yeah. I hope that's been helpful in some way, Kendra. Um, there are never easy answers no, to these really, you know, practical pastoral questions but uh, do appreciate you getting in touch and all the others who've got in touch with their questions on marriage this edition <laughs> we cover all kinds of things don't we tom on this podcast uh, car mechanics next week no um we'll um, <laughs> Best of luck with that <laughs> we'll leave it there for for this week's episode um great to have you on the thank show you. thank again. you very much uh, and whether you are married or not i hope that it's been a blessing to you and we'll see you next time thank you Thanks for being with us. Next time, we'll be answering more of your pastoral questions. If you've enjoyed today's show, do share it with others and uh, leave us a rating and a review on your podcast provider. And don't forget to catch Tom in London on Thursday, the 12th of March, and also to book your place for his appearance at Unbelievable Conference in May. Uh, Just go and uh, check the show notes or go to askntright.com for more info on that. The giving link's there too. You can receive that free ebook from the show and, of course, get subscribed for the regular newsletter, bonus content, and prize draws. And, of course, ask a question yourself. See you next time. You've been listening to the Ask N.T. Write Anything podcast. Let other people know about this show by rating and reviewing it in your podcast provider. For more podcasts from Premier, visit premier.org.uk slash podcasts.